Okay, let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 6 and then we'll open with a word of prayer. So Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we... Do indeed thank you for this time that we can get together around your word. We pray, Lord, that this evening you would speak to our hearts, you would teach us, uh, instruct us through your word, refresh us uh, thereby, and Lord, I pray that you would empower me uh, through the spirit this evening as I speak, that it would be your words, uh, it would be your thoughts, Lord, you give us understanding of your word and, and of the great truths contained therein. Lord, may you bless our time together now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, the fall of man into sin. And we started off looking at the tempter himself, which, of course, we saw was none other than Satan. You know, Satan, that uh, one, Lucifer, the, the, um, the one created by God, uh, the highest of the angelic beings, who was cast out of heaven because he rebelled against Almighty God. And it was Satan, Lucifer, who then used the serpent to tempt Eve. The serpent was the vessel by which he spoke to Eve and and tempted her to sin. And last week we saw the steps that Satan used uh, to bring Eve to that point of rebellion. He first began by questioning uh, the word of God. Yea, hath God said... And then he progressed to outright denying God's word, to calling God a liar. And then finally, he substituted a lie, his own lie, for the truth. We come now this evening to uh, some of the most important verses in the word of God because they record for us the sin of Adam and Eve. Uh, This sin that changes the whole course of history, if you like, changes everything for us as as a human race. Now with this act, man fell from his created state of innocence and fellowship with God to the present state that we're now in of sin and alienation. Man fell from that wonderful place of fellowship with God because of his sin. Now as we've mentioned before, man was not created by God to be a robot. God created man to have a free will to to choose to love God or to choose to reject God. God gave man a choice. Of course, God had stacked that heavily in man's favor of doing the right thing. You know, God had given him every reason to love him. And God had given man no reason at all to reject him. But God gave man the choice. God gave Adam and Eve the ability to choose. And the tragic reality is that man chose to reject God. They chose to sin and in doing so, uh, they brought sin and death into the world. Now we've read it before, but Romans 5 verse 12 states, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, 
and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. By one man, it's Adam. Adam is our representative, our federal head, to use a theological term. He's our federal head. And this one decision here in the garden plunged the whole of mankind into sin. It's because of this decision that we're now, we are now all born with a sin nature. It's because of this decision we're, we're born with sin nature. We are sinners and we are condemned before a holy God. And so this evening now let us consider this decision to partake of the fruit and sin against Almighty God. First of all, this evening we see their sin. Their sin. Look with me in verse 6. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. You know, Eve had stood there and listened as the serpent questioned God's word. She continued to listen, listen sorry, as the, as the serpent denied God's word, called God a liar. As we said last week, she should have responded by getting out of there. You know, the moment the serpent, Satan, called God a liar, that should have sent up some red flags and, and Eve should have immediately recalled the words of God, remember that God is truth and gotten out of there. But instead, Eve lingered and she listened to the serpents. When Satan told her his lie in verse 5, Eve was in a vulnerable place. And she swallowed his lie. The lie was, of course, in verse 5, it says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This was the lie, that they would be as God, that they would be their own God, making their own decisions, knowing between good and evil. This was his lie. And it was a lie that proved to be an irresistible temptation to Eve. And so in verse 6, we see that, see that Eve now is attracted to this fruit. It's almost as if she, she can't take her eyes off it. She's drawn in uh, to partake of the fruit. It says there in verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. So she's, she's almost transfixed by the fruit now, drawn in by the fruit that Satan has put her attention upon. The commentator Morris writes this, he says, As Eve, having allowed her mind and emotions to be influenced by the satanic suggestions of doubt and pride, continued to gaze at the forbidden tree, its fruit seemed to become more and more beautiful and delectable all the time. That's what we see here in verse 6, isn't it? Almost she's transfixed, she's drawn in by the fruits, drawn in by what she sees to then reaching out and grabbing one of those uh, pieces of fruit and picking it off the tree. And verse 6 describes for us what it is about the tree, about the fruit, that seems so tempting to Eve. We're told in this verse that Eve sees three things. She saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. So they're the three things that she saw. These were the three areas of temptation for Eve, the things that attracted her. You know, when we read these three, 
we see that this parallels perfectly a passage in the New Testament. John writes in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, and he tells us about the three sources of temptation. Let's just turn over there. 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. John here tells us that temptation comes from three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these are the same three areas of temptation for Eve here in Genesis chapter 3. You know, when Eve saw that it was good for food, it's appealing to the lust of the flesh. It's appealing to her physical, bodily appetites, and she desires it. When Eve saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, it's appealing to the lust of the eyes. You know, it obviously looked delicious. It was a pleasant-looking fruit. It was a fruit that held your attention, that was desirable. And then when Eve saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, it's appealing to her pride, isn't it? The pride of life. You know, it's seeing that this fruit could offer her wisdom, understanding, knowledge, that it could make her like God. Indeed, all three areas of temptation were at play here in Genesis chapter 3 as Eve is drawn in to partake of the fruits. And ultimately, you know, the reason that Eve was drawn in by these three is because she was walking by sight here, not by faith. She's walking by sights. You see, it was what she saw that determined what she did. And that really is at the heart of the matter. That really is the, the root problem. She was transfixed by the tree and she acts upon what she sees. She saw that it was good for food. She saw it was pleasant to the eyes. And she saw his desire to make one wise. She acts upon what she sees. Instead of walking by faith, she walks by sights. You know, if Eve had been walking by faith, believing God's word, believing God's word to be true and obeying it, then she wouldn't have partaken of the fruit. She would have turned and walked away. But instead, Eve, having listened to the, the serpent, is now transfixed by what she sees. And she walks by sight instead of by faith. You know, these are the same three areas of temptation that we all face today. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The same three areas of temptation that we face. And if we walk by sight and not by faith, then we, like Eve, will find ourselves giving into the temptation to sin. If we're walking by sight, we will give in. We will fall into sin. Now, we mentioned it last week, but when Christ was on earth and he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and we, when we look at those temptations that Christ faced, we see that it came from the same three areas. Just turn over to Luke chapter 4 with me. Luke chapter 4. And let's just read the account there. <clears throat> In Luke 4, 
And let's read from verse 1. I'm just going to read the passage here. Luke 4, verse 1, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, and being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man sh- sh- shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taken him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. You know, we look at the temptations there that Christ faced. If you look at them, all three of them really are coming from these same three sources, these same three areas. The temptation in verse 3 is the lust of the flesh. Verse 3, it says, And the devil said to him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it may be made bread. He's appealing to his, his desires, bodily desires. In verse 5 and 6, it's, it's the eyes. Verse 5, it says, And the devil taken him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. He shows him the kingdoms. And then in verse 9 through 11, it's the pride of life. He said, brought him up to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. He's appealing to pride. And so really, the, the, we can say Christ was tempted in all points like as we are. The difference is Christ didn't sin. That's the difference. Christ didn't walk by sights. Christ walked according to the truth of God's word. His reply each time was, it is written. He replied with the word of God to the temptation. It was the word of God that Christ stood upon and so must we if we are going to overcome temptation to sin. If we're going to be victorious, we must, like Christ in each of those situations, reply with the Word of God and stand by faith and walk by faith instead of by sights. You know, sadly, Eve, Eve walked by sight and she partook of the fruits. And then at the end of verse 6, it tells us that she then gave to her husband also. Let's go back to Genesis 3. Verse 6, at the end there it says, And she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. She partook of the fruit, and then Eve, as sinners do, wanted her husband to sin with her. She gave it unto her husband, and he partook as well. You know what, not told what Eve said to Adam here to convince him to partake of the fruit. You know, we can imagine that she probably used the same arguments that the devil had used. She probably rehearsed 
the same things in Adam's ear here. She's trying to convince him to partake as well. You know, while Eve was deceived by the serpents into partaking of the fruit, the New Testament tells us that Adam wasn't deceived. Let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy. First Timothy 2, and starting verse 13. First Timothy 2, verse 13 says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. So in the New Testament here, Paul writes that it's, um, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was. The passage makes it clear that Adam here, far from being deceived, he willingly partakes of the fruit. He makes a conscious decision to partake, knowing full well that he's sinning against God, knowing full well that he shouldn't be doing this. He wasn't deceived. He made a conscious decision to partake of the fruit, joining Eve in her sin and in the judgment that would follow. Now, many have questioned why Adam did this. And, you know, some have suggested that maybe Adam did this out of love for Eve. You know, choosing rather to, to share in her sin and to share in her guilt rather than leave her to face God's judgment alone. And so many have suggested that. However, we must make a point clear here. You know, that motive that he did it out of love makes Adam appear noble, doesn't it? It makes Adam appear noble in his sin, that this was a noble gesture. And God's word never implies this. There was nothing noble about Adam's sin. We need to understand that. There's nothing noble about what he did here in the garden. It was a deliberate, wicked act. And it was inexcusable. It was sin. We can't, uh, Pastor pointed out this morning, we can't color it some other way. It was sin. There's nothing noble about it. It was a deliberate, wicked, inexcusable act. And more importantly, it was his sin that plunged the world into sin, not Eve's. See, Adam was, as I mentioned earlier, our federal head. He was our representative, not Eve. And so when he sinned, as Romans 5 says, sin entered into the world and death by Sin And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam made a choice, a conscious choice. It was the wrong choice. But because of it, humanity has suffered ever since. And so we've seen their, their sin. Now, secondly, we see their shame. Their shame. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3 and verse 7 now, it says, In the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So we've seen their sin, and now secondly, we see their shame. You know, Satan had promised Eve that they would be like God, that they would know good and evil, their eyes would be open, and they would be just like God. And there was partial truth to what Satan had told them, wasn't there? There was a partial truth to it. Their eyes were indeed opened to know good and evil. Verse 7 says that. It says, and the eyes of them both were opened. And so their eyes were opened. They did now know good and evil. 
but they didn't become like God. Adam and Eve, when they partook of the fruit, they lost their innocence, and now for the first time they had a personal realization of what it meant to sin. They now understood good and evil. They understood sin. This knowledge, however, far from making them like God, instead filled them with guilt and with shame. It filled them with shame. They were sinners and they knew it. And they saw their nakedness now as a symbol of that shame. Verse 7 it says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Their eyes are open, they know good and evil, and their focus straight away is upon the fact that they're naked. And the question might be asked, why is it that their nakedness is the thing that they suddenly become aware of, that they are so ashamed of all of a sudden? And in my study this week, I read an interesting possibility as I was reading through the commentators. Some commentators believe that Adam and Eve were clothed with God's glorious light before they partook of the fruit. And that when they ate of the fruit, that light was taken away, leaving them feeling open, naked, and ashamed. The commentator Gusick, he was one of them, he writes this, he says, Psalm 104 verse 2 and Matthew 17 verse 2 suggests that light can be a garment for the righteous. It may be that Adam and Eve were previously clothed in God's glorious light and the immediate loss of this covering light left them feeling exposed and naked. Likewise, um, Barnhouse, he writes this, he says, It is more than probable that they were clothed in light before the fall. And when they sinned, the light went out. And it's certainly an interesting possibility. It's one I'd never seen before. It's an interesting possibility and perhaps would help explain why their nakedness is the thing they focus on so readily straight away because suddenly the light's gone out and their nakedness is open now and they're ashamed. But at the very least here, as I said, it's a possibility and I can't prove it from the Word of God, but at the very least here we can say that, that, that now their view of nakedness has changed. Because they've sinned, they now have sinful eyes, if you like. They're corrupted by their sin. And so their perception of things has changed. And so they are now ashamed of their nakedness. Uh, Hodge from Answers in Genesis, he writes this. He says, So their sin affected the way Adam and Eve perceived things. In fact, the shame they now felt was due to sinful nature, because they no longer perceived things in a perfect fashion. Hence they viewed that their nakedness should be covered. And so at the very least we can say their perception has changed. And that is why they they focus on their nakedness now, and they see it as the emblem of their shame. They see their sin in their nakedness. And so they attempt now to cover it up. That's the second half of verse 7. They seek to hide their shame, their nakedness. Verse 7 it says, And the eyes in them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So they make themselves aprons, some rudimentary clothes here, out of fig leaves. And this is all in an effort to hide their nakedness, as I said, where they see their shame. 
to cover their shame, to hide their shame. They're, they're trying to fix the problem here, aren't they? You know, their eyes have been opened because they've partaken the fruit, and now they're trying to fix things. They're trying to patch it up, make it better again. You know, what we see here is the very first effort by man to deal with their sin in their own way. Adam and Eve try to solve the problem, to hide their guilt, to hide their shame, to fix the problem of their sin, and they try to do it on their own. You know, mankind today still thinks that they can solve the problem of sin on their own. That somehow they can escape the the judgment of God by doing good things, by doing good deeds, good works. That our clothes of righteousness that we accomplish here on earth will somehow outweigh our bad in heaven and God will let us in. God will let us in because we're a good person here on earth. Now the sad reality is that in the eyes of God, our best is never good enough. It's never going to save us from the consequences of sin. Isaiah 64, verse 6, puts it bluntly. It says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Puts it very blunt, doesn't it? The very best that we can do is like a filthy rag before God. It's not clean, it's not righteous at all before Almighty God. Nothing that we do can ever be enough to cover or hide our sin. It can never be enough to patch things up, make things right between us and God. You see, what we need is for God to clothe us with garments of righteousness, which only He can provide. Isaiah 61 and verse 10, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, and my soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath covered me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's what we need. We need garments of salvation. We need the the robes of righteousness. And they are only found, only obtained through faith in Christ. It's only through faith in Christ that our sins are dealt with so that we might then stand before God and have fellowship with God once more. We stand before God because we're now clothed in the righteousness of God. Of Christ. You see, any attempt to deal with our sin in any other way will always fail. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve found here in Genesis chapter 3. They tried to cover their shame, and the result is clear to us in verses 8 through 10. That's our final point this evening. We see now their fear. Their fear. In verse 8 it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Excuse me. You know, it's immediately clear from verse 8 and following that Adam and Eve's attempt to deal with their sin was not sufficient. Their attempt to to cover their shame, to hide their, their guilt, to fix the problem was not sufficient. We're told in verse 8 
that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the, in the cool of the day. Now, from the way that this is stated, this, it seems that this is a common occurrence. This was something that was happening every day. Daily, the Lord was walking in the garden and talking with them. And so what we have here, most likely, is a pre-incarnate Christ. We have the, the Son of God in bodily form here in the garden, walking and talking with Adam and Eve. There's fellowship. There's an intimate relationship, intimate communion with the Lord here in the garden. But now, because of what they've done in verse 6, that fellowship is destroyed. That fellowship has been destroyed by their sin. You know, they had attempted to deal with the problem on their own, to cover their nakedness, their shame with man-made clothes, with their works, if you like. They tried to restore what was lost. But now as the Lord comes walking into the garden in the cool of the day, it's clear they haven't dealt with the problem because they immediately go and hide themselves, don't they? They go and hide themselves out of fear. It says there in verse 8 in the second half, it says, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Then in verse 10, it says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. This time when God comes into the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve are scared. They're afraid. They're fearful. And so they hide themselves. You see, if their attempts to deal with their sin had been successful, if they had succeeded in covering their shame, then they would have openly come out to see the Lord, wouldn't they? They would have been ready and waiting to fellowship with the Lord that day. And instead, as God approaches, Adam and Eve hide themselves, hoping to avoid having to talk with God. They're hoping to avoid having to, to face Him. But of course, it's impossible to hide from God. And so when God calls out, Adam responds. Verse 9, it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard the voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. Adam's response to God is, he says, I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. You know how quickly the relationship with God has changed. How quickly it's changed. Before this, there's freedom. There's freedom to walk and talk with the Lord. There's no shame. There's no need to be afraid. There's no fear to stand in his presence. But now Adam is afraid of God. It's all because Adam knows that he has sinned against his God. And Adam knows that God is holy and God must deal with that sin. You know, God had told him that there would be consequences. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, From the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God had said the consequence was immediate death. And the death spoken about there is separation. It's separation from God. And that death, that separation was already being felt, wasn't it? That immediate death had taken place. Adam and Eve had died spiritually. When they partook of the fruit, they were now separated from God. 
the fellowship have been destroyed and, and their efforts to fix the problem by sewing fig leaves together were futile. You know, for fellowship to be restored, God would have to act on their behalf. In Genesis 3 and verse 21, <clears throat> we see what the Lord did. Sorry, Genesis 3, 21, it says, Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. God now, the end of Genesis chapter 3, God makes clothes for them out of the skins of animals. He, he kills these animals as a sacrifice, if you like, for Adam and Eve. He kills them in their place as a substitute. The animals shed their blood, and then the skins are taken as clothes for Adam and Eve. What we see here is God acting as the high priest, don't we? God acting as the high priest kills the animals in the place of Adam and Eve to provide a covering for them. What we have is a wonderful picture. A wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who would come to earth and would die in our place to provide a covering for our sin. Now because of Adam, we're all born sinners. We're all condemned before a holy God, spiritually dead, separated from God, unable to have fellowship with Him. And the only way for that fellowship to be restored is through Christ's sacrifice there on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, let's just turn over there. We're almost done this evening. Ephesians 2, verses I'm sure we know well. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2 makes it clear that it's faith in Christ. Faith in Christ that is the only way of salvation. Our works of righteousness cannot save us. Our works of righteousness cannot restore fellowship with God. There is only one covering that is sufficient, and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us there on Calvary as our substitutes. Now I trust this evening that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've placed your faith in Him so that your sins are covered. Your sins are dealt with and you can now come and have fellowship with God. You know, as believers, we can rejoice this evening, can we not? We can rejoice in the knowledge that our sins are dealt with. And because of Christ, we can now enjoy fellowship with the Lord. Fellowship that was lost when Adam sinned. That fellowship is restored through Christ. Praise God that we can come boldly under the throne of grace and commune directly with our loving Father. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for Genesis chapter 3 and all the great truths contained therein. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that even though Adam was our federal head and he, he sinned representing all of us, Christ came as our second head. And he died in our place upon the cross to pay the ransom price, shedding his blood to provide a covering for our sin. I thank you so much, Lord, that through faith in him we now can have our sins dealt with and we can come and have sweet fellowship with you. I pray if there's anybody tonight watching who's not saved, that they would tonight realize their need, realize there is no other way of salvation.
and they come to you in faith. Lord, for those of us who are saved, may we rejoice. Lord, we focused in both messages today on our great salvation through Christ, and may we rejoice in that. May we, may we seek to tell others to share the good news or the fellowship that's ours through our wonderful Savior. May you bless now as we close, and, and bless, Lord, the rest of this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.